Hello, everybody. Welcome to our third planetary episode in which we will be talking about the lovely Venus. We are going through the seven planets and their application within tarot. And what we've been doing is starting each episode with the Orphic hymn to the appropriate planet. So we're going to read the hymn to Aphrodite, the Orphic hymn to Aphrodite, number 55. And uh, Mel's going to read it in English, the Athanasakis translation, and I'm going to read it in Greek. So sometimes there are some slightly awkward line breaks, but I guess we'll just live with it. Yeah. Here we go. Urania polymne philome des Aphrodite. Heavenly, smiling Aphrodite, praised in many hymns. Ponto genes genetera thea philopanyuche semne. Seaborn, revered goddess of generation, you like the night-long revel. Nucteria zeuctera doloploke meter ananches. And you couple lovers at night, O scheming mother of necessity. <laughs> Pantagarek set inestin hupo zeuxo de cosmon. Everything comes from you, you have yoked the world. Kai crate es trison moiron genais tapanta. And you control all three realms, you give birth to all. Hossa tenura noiesti caiengae polycarpoi. To everything in heaven, upon the fruitful earth. En pontu tebutote semne bachoyo paredre. And in the depths of the sea, O venerable companion of Bacchus. Terpomene thaliaisi gamostole metere roton. You delight in festivities, O bride-like mother of the erotes. Peitoi lectro charis crifia charidoti. O persuasion, whose joy is in the bed of love, secretive giver of grace. Fai nomene tafanes eratoplo cameo paterea. Visible and invisible, lovely tressed daughter of a noble father. Nymphidia sundaiti teon skeptuche lucaina. Bridal feast companion of the gods, sceptered she-wolf. Genodotera filandre potenotate biodoti. Beloved and man-loving giver of birth and of life. With your maddening love charms, you yoke mortals. And the many races of beasts to unbridled passion. <laughs> Come, O goddess born in Cyprus, whether you are on Olympos. O queen, exulting in the beauty of your face. Or you wander in Syria, country of fine frankincense. Or yet driving your golden chariot in the plain. You lord it over Egypt's fertile river bed. Come, whether you ride your swan-drawn chariot over the sea's billows, joying in the creatures of the deep as they dance in circles, or you delight in the company of the dark-faced nymphs on land, as light-footed, they frisk over the sandy beaches. Come, lady, even if you are in Cyprus, that cherishes you. Where fair maidens and chaste nymphs throughout the year 
Sing of you, O blessed one, and of a mortal pure Adonis. Elthe makaira thea malapeira tonedo sechusa. Come, O beautiful and comely goddess. Psyche gar sekalosem ne hagioisi logoisin. I summon you with holy words and pious soul. Whew! <laughs> That's a long one. That's a long one. 28 lines long. It's, the longest. Uh, the longest of, <laughs> of them the all. planetary, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When I was learning the Greek, it took me like, I think about five weeks to memorize it. It was just so hard and so much repetition. I mean, there's like so many um, things going on in there. And a lot of them are like, sea nymphs, dance on the foamy foam of the foam. (laughs) Venus demands her due. She does. She does. And I guess, you know, that hymn is interesting because it has so much reference to her sea and oceanic qualities, but also to the sort of qualities of hunger and compulsion and desire that go with her. My favorite line is, oh, scheming mother of necessity. Yes, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And and there are some references as well to, you know, Cyprus, where is mm-hmm. where she was supposed to have washed ashore in her seashell or born of the foam of the testicles of Uranus. <laughs> yeah, so it's um it's a really complicated great hymn and there are actually other Aphrodite hymns but this is the one that practitioners tend to use in invocation and it's really quite beautiful. Covers a lot of territory. All right. So the cards we'll be talking about are the Empress associated with Venus and then her two zodiacal associated majors, the Hierophant for Taurus and Justice or Adjustment for Libra. We'll be talking about the associated minors of Taurus, the five, six, and seven of Discagals. And for the associated minors of Libra, we'll be talking about the two, three, and four of Swords. Then we'll be talking about the Decanic minors of Venus, which are the four of wands, Venus in Aries three, the two of cups, Venus in Cancer one, the nine of pentacles or discs, Venus in Virgo two, the seven of cups, Venus in Scorpio three, and the five of swords, which is Venus in Aquarius one. And then finally, we'll be talking about all of the seven cards in aggregate, seven of wands, seven of cups, seven of swords, and of course, seven of pentacles, because those are associated with the seventh Sephira, Netzach, which is the Sephira of Venus. Okay, so Venus. Here we are. We are talking about the queen, the empress, uh, literally the empress card, the queen of heaven, Um, Isis Urania, I've heard her called the empress card, uh, daughter of the mighty ones. And of course, um, when we say daughter of the mighty ones, we're probably talking about the supernals, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. For, you know, we'll get into the Kabbalah, but her path goes directly between the mother and father supernal. Right. And basically cordons off that upper triangle from the rest of the tree. One thing that's really cool, I think, about, well, there's a lot of really cool things about the planet Venus. She's the planet most like Earth, so it's like a sister planet to Earth, around the same size, around the same gravity, around the same mass. Much hotter, though. Much hotter, yeah. Primarily liquid and gas, right? And all of the sort of titles for Venus in 
different languages. She's always called, you know, she has one epithet or another as the shining one. Yeah, right? she's the, besides the sun and moon, the obvious biggies, she's the brightest of the planets. It's interesting. Most beautiful and brightest. And the other thing interesting about her is her aspects as the morning star and the evening star. So because she's an inner planet, so between us and the sun, not only do we get to see her in phases, but, you know, she's either trailing the sunset, at which case she would, you know, rise after the sun sets and be the evening star called mm-hmm. uh, Hesperos, mm-hmm. and then, or she's trailing the sunrise and becoming morning star uh, Lucifer. Right, Lucifer and Hesperos. In Hebrew, she's called Noga, I think, which means shining. And in Arabic, it's actually Al-Zuhara, which also means the shining one. She it likes shiny. Be, yeah, she likes shiny and sparkly. Yeah. And it's interesting because even though like color-wise we'll associate copper with her and green, she also is white. often brought across as white and or golden even, yeah. like the sun. You, you see a lot of references to white. And mm-hmm. her stone even is a diamond in Ayurvedic mm. uh, gemstone therapies. The Venus stone is the diamond. Is that so interesting? Which makes sense because she yeah. likes... Shiny, sparkly. Right. And it's kind of, that kind of makes sense also because diamond is nothing but carbon compressed and, you know, all carbon-based life forms answer to Venus. The other cool thing about Venus is I was reading about her and she rotates from east to west. So the sun rises in the west and sets in the east if you're standing on Venus. that's cool. Yeah. For real? Oh my God. I read it. I don't know. That would Things mess you with you. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, because she's so covered with a, this cloud mantle, it mm-hmm. bends the and distorts the light. So I guess it's said that when the sun is, it can appear to be rising and setting at the same time. <gasps> wow. It must be a pretty neat place. Yeah. You can you stand the heat. So it's interesting that, you know, she's that you said that about the atmosphere bending the light and stuff because that sort of reminds me of the fact that she's born out of these sort of numinous mists and fogs there's something about her that dissolves boundaries and in the same way that we say neptune is the higher octave of venus you know it's that idea that she creates connections and um bonds between people by you know dissolving the walls and boundaries onto it's funny all those you know love poems and stuff say oh when the sun rises in the west yes. and sets in the east <laughs> then you know it's like well i, I guess venus <laughs> <laughs> right and i love that she has phases like our moon as well right and the other really neat thing about the planet venus is that her path and her uh orbit creates a beautiful shape in the sky oh yes that beautiful almost uh, uh pentagram pentagram shape, shape yeah. like the inside of an apple if you yep. open it up onto astrology shall yeah, we talk why, about dignity yep she's got her rulership in taurus and in libra yeah that's really neat because she's got spring and fall yeah she's got the planting and she's got the planting and the harvesting yeah right all the fertility there is fertility (laughs) yes it's that's really cool um which means of course that her detriment is in aries and scorpio so mars ruled mars yeah her detriments in are in mars ruled signs which is kind of interesting because mars aries was her lover. Yeah. And I think she was, she's like the only planet that gets along, quote unquote, with mm-hmm. Mars. 
<laughs> and yet those signs are her detriment, which is... Yeah, it's interesting. It's so all... he's not very good for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in terms of their role, their archetypal role, hers is to join and connect and his is to separate yeah. and divorce right. and cut. But it's also interesting because when you think about, you know, her signs being Taurus... Libra and his signs being Aries, Scorpio, he kind of brackets her on mm-hmm. either side of the year. Yeah. So it's like he has to clear the way and clean up, <laughs> you know, he has to break the ground to make it nice for her. Yeah, and then when right. she has left, he he has to put everything to sleep again or something like that. Of course, if you look at the Thema Mundi, you can see that Literally, all of the planets have that sort of concentric form. So you have sun and moon in the middle with yeah, Leo and Yeah, you cancer. ever see that diagram? And it's mm-hmm. it's basically circular. And the sun and the moon are at the top, the two lights. Mm-hmm. So um, Leo and Cancer. And then, and then Virgo. Every, every mm-hmm. planet that is on closest to the sun, Mercury. So the two Mercury sa- signs are outside of that, Gemini and Virgo on right. either side. And then you have the two uh, Venus signs on that. Mm-hmm. Which um, are Taurus and Libra. Yep. Then the Mars and, and Aries and Scorpio. Uh, yeah. And then you and then have Jupiter, Jupiter, then down at the bottom, Sag Saturn. And, Pisces, and then and it, Saturn. Yeah. And that's really neat because it's very logical. It is. It is. At first, it, you know, when you're first sort of learning your zodiacal signs and the order they go in, it doesn't appear to make sense. But especially if you are not aware of the classical rulerships of Aquarius and Pisces. Right. You yeah, know, so you're looking at the circle, you got the sun and moon on top, and then it's symmetrically bracketed, right. you know, by all the planets that each the have traditional two, planets. The, the, the classical planets that each have two signs. And then in within that circle, you can connect, you know, all the fire signs, all the water signs, all the air signs, and each mm-hmm. one will make a triangle that you end up with the beautiful 12-pointed star that right. you see associated with the sun often in the zodiac. You know, and it has this very pleasing symmetry. You can also see the division between the diurnal sign and the nocturnal sign, male and female. Yeah, on the moon side or on the sun side. Yeah. Maybe we should put that on the bride side or the groom side. (laughs) (laughs) Which side of the aisle? Right. And then she has her exaltation in Pisces at 27 degrees of Pisces. That's kind of neat because, you mm-hmm. know, you already mentioned her higher octave being Neptune. And mm-hmm. then, you know, Pisces showing how the highest aspect of love is true devotion, self-sacrifice that that Pisces can offer. Right. And I heard a rationale for why it's 27 degrees, I think on Chris Brennan's podcast, but I cannot remember what it is. My uh, Venus is at 27 Cancer. It's trying to the exaltation degree. Mine's uh, 29 Libra. Oh, nice. And then that, of course, puts her in fall in Virgo, 27 Virgo, I guess. So yeah, so when you think about, you know, her exaltation in Pisces in the night house of Jupiter. Universal love. Universal love. Versus in Virgo, I'm going (laughs) to... nitpick you until you're perfect (laughs) yeah there's a there's a sort of like big picture versus very very little picture so although you know we see her in tarot we see her and we'll talk about that later in virgo and she does okay in tarot (laughs) so (laughs) i was thinking about those two signs of hers taurus and libra and sort of we could talk a little bit about the difference between you know taurus venus and libra 
you and know, maybe the cards associated the aspects with them of too. Venus that are more Taurus like and the aspects that are more Libra like. And maybe that'll help us also to see more Venus in the two cards, the Hierophant and Justice or Adjustment, because, you know, on the face of it, I don't know if anyone would have immediately picked those up as Venus cards, mm, right? right? But it's interesting to try and figure out why they have those connections to Venus. And one thing I think is that, like, you know, if you think of the Empress, you know, you could think of the idea of the hierophant side of Venus as the union side, you know, Mm -hmm. the idea that she binds two things together. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something that we see. We saw that a lot in the Orphic hymn where there's this term, Zelkso, Hupo Zelkso de Cosmon binds together, yokes together the cosmos. And I think it's probably uses the word yoke in the English version, yeah, true. Yeah, yoke the world. Or yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And then she also says, mm-hmm. or That's the one she yokes mortals together mm-hmm. in need, right? Right. Which is really interesting. And when you consider that the hierophant has that. Hebrew letter Vav, which is the conjunction the and yep. the nail, the, yep. the thing that binds things together, yep. and that he is the bridge, the pontifex, you know, the union between the um, divine and the mundane. And then you've got in the uh, Libra card that idea of balance and compromise that is so necessary in partnership. Yeah, yeah. Things. And, and, you know, to be diplomatic, to, to give in, the give and take, you know. There's a symmetry, you know, and, an, and a parity with that. I think, especially when we think about the justice or adjustment card being the card of Libra, right? So it's like that seventh house self versus other thing and becoming aware of the other and being able to balance it out between the scales so that it even fair. and <laughs> even, and fair and and one thing i i saw recently i was looking up the term justice as a cardinal virtue and what the theologians and the philosophers used to say was that justice governs the proper relationship of people so mm-hmm. the Greek term is dikaiosunes. So the idea that it is, in a sense, the most important cardinal virtue because it keeps us functioning as a society and it allows us to think of things from another person's point of view. So yeah, so I think that idea of, you know, self and other is really important. And I think that, you know, when you look at the hierophant, the, you know, the keeper of the keys, that makes me think of the Empress as Dalit the door. So <laughs> Hierophant has the key yeah, right. to the door. And it's like the justice either pushes you to go through <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or makes sure you, you get through in the right, you know, without hitting the walls or something. I don't know. There's like that, that constant sensation with justice of taking turns, dancing the dance and doing things in the right time. Whereas, um, I almost feel like, the Hierophant card is doing t- things in the right season or space. I don't know. There's some thoughts I have about that, but I haven't quite crystallized. Mm. Well, one thing I think that's really interesting is like, maybe we can think about the the uh, car- the minor cards that go with those as a way of getting into them. So like the five, six, and seven of discs for the Hierophant, right? We've talked mm-hmm. about how that is, you know... That worry, success, and failure. Worry, <laughs> success, and failure, yeah. And there's like this perfect moment, like the Kairos, the perfect moment at the six where 
you've done all your planning ahead for your planting, and then finally you get it in the soil and it germinates, right? That's the six. And then the seven is where you figure out what went wrong. <laughs> That's when the blight and the bugs come at the end of the season. <laughs> <That's> right. And, <laughs> and the beetles and the weeds and the predators. Exactly. But there's something very, you know, there's something so like sexy about the hierophant and about the five, six, and seven of discs. You know, if you didn't know about their connection with Venus, you might miss it. Right. Right. Because this is something that's super important within the deck that, you know, when you're looking for sex, don't just look to the Empress and the Two of Cups. Look for your Taurus cards, look for your Hierophant and see. That's one reason why the Hierophant weight thought was connected with marriage, you know, because of this um, union. Between. Well, Libra would be marriage and Taurus would be the consummation, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> that too, that's too. Well, you know, that's interesting because if you look at Hierophant and Justice, they both have those two pillars, mm-hmm. you know, so it's ceremonial, it's ritual, it's two parts mm-hmm. being joined in uh, one way or another. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of interesting too to think of, you know, Venus as the lesser lesser benefic so mm-hmm. the giver of gifts and the taurian gifts she gives are all about you know material resources and sensuality and prosperity things you need to thrive you know mm. mother nature's bounty things like that and then in in the libra the libran gifts are of dis- diplomacy and charm and beauty and yeah more artistic um grace and you know yes good yes. looks and uh ability to deal with the public and things like that <laughs> right right the the taurus ones are things you can hold but the uh, Libra ones are more um, conceptual, and and for example, music you can't hold it, but it's yeah, beautiful. M- music and, it's and in art the air. It would be the the Libra side. Yeah, of things. I was reading Agrippa last night, and <laughs> here's something funny. I um, he was he was going through the different types of music that you would expect to associate with the planets, and he said the music of soul of the sun is venerable, settled, pure, and sweet, but the music of Venus is lascivious, luxurious, delicate, voluptuous, dissolute, and fluent. Nice. <laughs> he, he was kind of on a roll there. Yeah, I think so. Dissolute and fluent. But it's fluent. cool to compare the, the five, six, and seven of discs and the mm-hmm. two, three, and four of Good swords. Point. So one is very earthy and, you know, very grounded, very strongly in the material world and the other one is more cerebral and um yeah. really focus on balanced states of mind yeah when we were going through the two three and four of swords i remember we talked about it as being kind of crossroads crisis compromise you know these sort of decision tree aspects that you need to work through with your mind um in that airy way as opposed to the Five, six, or seven, you know, the plant either grows or it doesn't. Yeah. One seems very <laughs> external and the other more internal. Yeah. The process. Yeah. And I guess that that's the nature of um, discs versus swords, pentacles versus swords, body versus mind. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk more myths of Venus before we go into the other cards? Or do you want to do that? Yeah, there's after? the myth, there's the alchemy, there's the Kabbalah. Yeah, let's do myth. And then the other correspondences. Let's do myth, alchemy, and Kabbalah, and then go into the minor cards, I guess. Okay. 
So, like, practically every female goddess has been associated with the Venus archetype yeah. at one point or another. No matter whether as mother or as yeah, the consort. empress, you know, is referred to as the gate of heaven. And all these goddesses at one time or another have had the title, the queen of heaven. Now, who who's the real queen? They've all, <laughs> they've all claimed it at one point or another. Will, will the real queen please stand up? <laughs> they've all been called the queen of heaven. In the tarot tradition up till the 18th century or so, the empress card always was a secular ruler, right? She had a regular crown on her head. But this this thing with the crowned with stars thing started with Eliphas Levi, because he, you know, wanted to draw that connection with Revelation and turn it into this bigger, more goddess-like, more archetypal figure. Right. It sort of moves you from thinking of the emperor and empress as secular authority figures and more as sort of universal mother and father. Yeah, even when you look in 777 to read the traditional depiction of the Empress card, it mentions the crowned with stars thing, but it also mentions her as sceptered and shielded. Right. So there's there's right. the there's both going on kind of. There's both going on and the the eagle on the shield was originally, I think there was an actual um it might have been the Visconti's, um a noble family for whom the eagle was on the yeah, shield, but that, it was that, way too replaced it with the Venus glyph. That description actually says, crowned with stars, a winged goddess stands upon the moon, which is curious in itself, mm, standing upon the like moon. Sounds like the high priestess. She bears a scepter and shield whereon is figured a dove as a symbol of the male and female forces. Right, and the dove, of course, is always historically associated with Venus. And on the Thoth Hierophant card, you see the dove and serpent. So always the dove rises, the serpent descends, the dove being the sort of... And on the Tower card, the Mars card. Oh, yeah, that's true, right. Will to live and will to die, is that what it is, dove and serpent? But that stands upon the moon thing. I keep thinking Mm. about that. And one of the things that occurred to me is just astronomically speaking... The moon is between us and Venus. Yeah, that's true. And you can see it that way if you're standing from the Earth. Yeah. That's Which is that's kind of true. just a thought. If you are petitioning Venus, I was looking through some of these associations yesterday in magic. There's certain things that you can kind of count on asking her for. Like in 777, her magical power is love filters. What's the line in the Orphic hymn that, that's about love filters? Um, With your maddening love charms, you yoke mortals? Yeah, yeah. And then what does she say about the animals after that? And the many races of beasts unbridled passion. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because it's like... Um, so it's like all the beasts you yoke in these many love filters. It's like I imagine her in this lab with like all these vials and flasks and one for every species. That's the Virgo Venus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, you know, the, 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 the trick is that the love filters, the love charms are like genetically encoded inside us. We can't get away from them even if we want to. And so, you know, when you when you are petitioning Venus, I think you can ask the classic thing to do is to ask for luck and love or fortune, benevolence, luck and love. Um, 
I think Picatrix has. Even in business, though, people always mm. tend to go to her for love and disregard the fact that she is a good one to go to for business things. Not only as you know her with her Taurus connections and her you know lesser benefic connections, but mm. you know in business, what is business but bringing people together, relationships, yeah. relationships, and growing things. Yeah, yeah, which are both aspects of Venus. Picatrix has her as petitions pertaining to. Love of women and carnal copulation are vocal. <laughs> Is there any other kind? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, telling jokes, go figure, worldly pleasures, those who engage in vices. Uh, servants, brides and grooms, those sorts of things. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember talking to engage in vices. I resemble that. Remark. I resemble that too. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there has to be some like, Venus out of balance, like we see in the Seven of Cups. There has to yeah. be some sort of place for that, I guess. You yeah, know? she likes her stuff. She likes her stuff. And certainly, you know, when you think about higher octave of Venus, Neptune, you can you can see how the addiction and the can escapism yes, can yes. lead you astray. Good old nebulous Neptune. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking to Chris Warnock about Venus at one point, and he said, well, she likes to spend money, you know. Um, that was in... Aries particularly. He he doesn't really agree with the idea that you can apply to her for, for money things. But I do see it. I do see I it working. Think, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially... If, especially if you apply to her in, let's bring this client to see eye to eye with me, things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. She likes that. But yeah, no, there's something, there's definitely something about being willing to take the other person's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, recognizing, I think, that at some level, we're all the same. Whereas when you put Mercury in the marketplace, it's all about the transaction. It's all about the deal. It's all about the quickness of getting things done and the efficiency. But it's a little bit different when you think about that those relationships from the Venus side. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. social graces. Social Charm. skills, which is part of business, you know, a good salesman has to be charming. Yeah, I was thinking about that because we recently watched a series on um, Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. And, you know, watching all those court dances, which always makes me think of the adjustment card, you know, you can tell that there's it's it's an aesthetic pleasure, but that was networking, you know, that was like learning to be civilized with each other and to make deals and to, you know, a lot of um, transactional Emotionally transactional stuff went on uh, in the in that aesthetic context. So, in terms of deities associated with her, so many. I don't even know where to begin. They're all there. Oh know. boy, Hathor, Freya, Isis, Demeter, Aphrodite, Nike, Ceres, yeah. Isis, and Nephthys, Ishtar, Astarte, and Anna. <laughs> <laughs> so these are interesting because Lalita of the Hindus. We have the um the the beautiful goddesses and the goddesses of youth, um like you know the Freya's Aphrodite type archetypes, but we also have the goddesses that go under the ground, right? Which is interesting because when when you think about Venus as morning and evening star and you know, what happens with the Venus retrograde cycle, there is this period where it's like mm-hmm. she's going, like the Inanna Astarte myth, where she's going into the underworld to see Rishkigal. What, what did Austin Coppett call her? It's a goddess of the sewers or something. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes Venus, Venus of the sewers. Cloacina, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. That sort of going into the dark is part of her archetype, you know, in the same way that it is kind of part of the sun's archetype. Well, she has phases just like the moon. So Mm -hmm. she does have a light and dark side, you know, the bright mother side and the dark mother side. 
Yeah, and and even even you know the the not just the goddesses, but also in myths and fairy tales like the Guinevere and Morgana Le Fay, they're both sides of Venus. Yeah, for sure. There's there's the you know the the dangerous enchantress, but also the pure um, consort, the maternal. Or not so pure, and the seductress. Or not so pure, <laughs> not so pure. Right, 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 right. Archangel Hanael or Haniel, Haniel. Mm-hmm. I've seen that yep. associated. I remember doing um, a working to Hanael some years back that was involved in asking for lucid dreaming, ah, which is yeah. not something I would have necessarily associated with Venus, but it was done under those conditions on a Friday. So it's almost like a relationship with yourself. Because yeah. I thought Haniel, you petitioned for interrelationship stuff, which is very Venusian. But you would lucid think dreaming, so. you'd think, is like a, a relationship with your subconscious mind. Unconscious to conscious, definitely. There, there's that sort of feeling of washing on the seas of the unconscious and trying to bring something back. It was either lucid dreaming or you could do prophetic dreams. And I said, oh, make it lucid. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to know. <laughs> and then the in the Arbatel, the Olympic spirit is somebody named Haggith. <laughs> now, Haggith is known as the transmuter of metals, specifically copper to gold and gold to copper. So again, there's that shining quality of Venus. Mm-hmm. As and the w- copper reference. And the copper reference. And it's interesting with the um, with copper in general, you know, I know that Crowley often references copper as kind of outwardly beautiful and internally corrupt. There's sort of this relationship between the shining copper and the oxidized verdigris yeah, the, copper yeah, the patinaed yeah copper. yeah isn't that funny though the two feminine quote unquote metals silver and copper both tarnish in that way hey yeah. what's up with that <laughs> what's up with that hey hmm. Hmm. <laughs> exactly that's what i said but i guess it's interesting because it sort of like makes you think of those qualities that she has of really turning one thing into another, you know, the sort of seven of cups kind of like in putrefaction comes new birth idea. I personally like when copper tarnishes. It's beautiful. It it's is. Really beautiful. It's one of my favorite colors. Yeah. Blue green glory. But it kind of reminds me, I suppose this would be a good time to mm-hmm. segue into the alchemical aspect because we can't forget that the Empress card, the Venus card, has the alchemical salt influence. And salt is really interesting, too, because salt also corrodes, but it also preserves. Mm-hmm. Salt is like this enigma. It it comes from the water, but it dries things up. Yes. It, it pre- preserves things, but it corrodes them. Right. You know, it's this real, just it's very enigmatic substance. Right. Like Venus herself coming yes. from the salt sea. Exactly. Many wild substance. <laughs> right. And alchemically, salt was that which remains after something is burned up and that which like survives death and then can be used to generate a new substance, a new life. So it's got that whole decay and regeneration theme going on. Right. When you are creating a spagyric, for example, you know, you're going to refine it so that you have the sulfur spirit, the soul, the mercury, quote unquote mercury, and the salt, the body. So the the salt is like that fine ash that's left at the very end of the process. And the um, but anyway, but that that is interesting. It's I think that idea of refinement and bringing things to a higher level is something that we'll also see in 
the red lion of the two of cups of the Venus in Cancer card. There's an alchemical reference in there. So yeah, so so when we see, you know, her her reference to salt, then we also are thinking of the um, reference to her counterpart, uh, the emperor, with the sulfur reference. Mm-hmm. And then, of course... Right, because the salt is kind of a... It's a inert and passive substance waiting to be energized and activated by the sulfur. Right, the sulfur being the life force or the will, the fiery... The field waiting to be plowed. <laughs> 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 but you need the quicksilver. You need the mercury, the right, magus, to bring, yeah, to bring the, the connection one to the yep. other, right? Yeah. Well, alchemically too, there's the whole the white eagle on the Thoth card, and the and the pelican on the mm-hmm. Thoth card, and the the pelican seems to be the antithesis of the raven that you see on the art card. Mm-hmm. So you know, one is the death part of the phase and, and one is the the new life part of the phase the the pelican the the mother feeding the from the blood of her breast you know the mm-hmm. the rich red blood of life yeah as opposed to the death's head you know with the raven perched on it right. kind of opposites and we always see those opposites sort of balanced out and combined in different ways um depending if you're looking at it from the taurus or the libra side the overall mother archetype, you know, when you think of mothers, we think of the sea, we think of the salt water, we think of Bina, we also think of the door, Dalit, which brings us into the Kabbalistic associations of the Empress, where she runs her path between Bina and Chokma. That letter Dalit, well, there's a couple different things. Um, first of all, there's this concept of you know how in when you look at Jewish mysticism, they're always sort of looking at what words the letter starts. Mm-hmm. And one of the words that Dalit starts is devakut, I think, uh, which means cleaving to God. So that brings in those connections with the divine, with the the necessity of connecting. Um, cleaving, cleavage. Yeah. <laughs> I meant cleaving, but, but you know what I mean? It's sort of like that idea that the nearness to God, the, and that, which makes me think of, you know, her position right there at the top of the supernals, mm-hmm. as well as these themes that, any closer. that we've seen with the, um, with both the hierophant and the justice or adjustment archetype of bringing things together and holding them together. And, also, don't and bringing have... the supernal parents together. Yes, bringing the supernal parents, Hakma and Bina, together. Now, as her um, double letter attribute of Dalet, do we use peace and war for that? I tried to sort of look into that and see if there was any sort of like spin on those words that is different. But I looked up Shalom and uh, Milchema, which is uh, which are peace and war in the Sefer Yetzirah. That's what that's from, and that is literally what they mean. <laughs> Peace and war. So that's kind of curious to think about. Like, why is Venus in charge of both peace and war? Like, peace, of course, is something we associate with her connecting people. But then we also have to think about her aspect as a warrior goddess sometimes. Right. All of those love goddesses are also usually historically war goddesses, which like is really interesting. The Babylon figure, right. And not just her, and mm-hmm. Anna, and Ishtar, and Astarte, and uh, yeah. they, they were all war goddesses as well as love right. goddesses. Right, so it really makes you think about what that 
might mean, you know, when you consider that Mars is supposed to be her opposite, but also the one that gets along also only her, with her. Also her consort. Also her know? consort. Yeah. So there's something in common. Also how her opposite path on the tree is sort of the path of the tower, which is called war. Right. Right. You and know, then if the, she if you pick if you chose mm-hmm. an opposite path for her, that would be it. Right. So you have peace and war right there yeah. with the Babylon archetype lust in between. In between, right? Right. right. <laughs> Which makes sense. Which makes sense is the hor- middle horizontal path. So we're talking about the path between Bina and Hakma being the empress, the path between Givora and Chesed being uh, lust or strength, and the path between Netzach and Hod being the tower. Oh, yeah, about drives, right? Because you have a drive to violence, you have a drive to sex, and they're hormonally driven by kind of similar things. You know, when you think about those, when you when we were talking testosterone. about... Testosterone. Yeah, testosterone and oxytocin and, you know, estrogen and progesterone and, you know, I mean, but it's testosterone that drives the sex drive in both men and women. And I was just thinking when we were talking about love charms and filters being internal to people, what if love charms and filters of Venus are actually hormones, you know? Makes sense. That's kind of interesting to think about. Baked in. There's a little bit more to do about Kabbalah. Okay. Because we didn't talk about yeah. Netzach at all. Oh, yeah, Netzach. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we should talk about Netzach, which is the Sephira of Venus. And a particularly interesting one, I think, in some ways, because you have... You know, you have the paths of the wheel, you have the path of death, you have the path of the tower, you have uh, the path of the moon, and you have the path of either the star or the emperor uh, coming out of there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a, you know, it's got a lot of different influences coming out of it. Yeah, and both Netzach and Hode both have armies associated with them. And Netzach's, mm. one of her names is victory. And when you think of victory, you kind of think about a battle. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. You absolutely do. And that term Netzach, I think, you know, has overtones of eternity always and endurance. So either that we're eternally at war at some level, or that the real victory is persisting through time, the the tenacity of life to ever continue no matter what form. I think that's something that's really intrinsic to understanding Venus is that although she may be the goddess of peace, she is persistent in a way that goes beyond diplomacy. So like I just saw a, a documentary, I think it was the, the Our Planet documentary that showed, you know, what happened at Chernobyl, right? So Chernobyl, you have this nuclear reactor disaster. It's a wasteland. It's 30 years later, and it's covered with forest. It's just completely covered with greenery. And, you know, no no people can go there because it's too dangerous. But wildlife and endangered species and, you know, all these animals and plants have really taken root there and thrived. And that is Venus winning the war, ultimately, mm-hmm. no matter um, what other factors healing, may be at healing work. Healing the breach. Healing the breach, causing life to flourish, no matter what we do, and that to me is something that I see in Netzach. It also has a lot of association with creativity in general, not just yeah. you know fecundity and procreation creativity, but cre- artistic creativity. Oh, for sure. Oh, you know, for sure. It's where yeah. those visions come from. <laughs> I guess you'd call them right. inspirations. Would might be a better word. I mean, particularly when you think of that connection between Netzach. And 
Malkut through the moon, the path of the moon. You know, there's this sort of imaginative connection mm-hmm. um, across time that brings the the arts of Venus into the world of Malkut, into the real world through the imaginative path of the moon. It's the the passionate part too, the emotional part. So, you know, say you're doing some sort of magic, you can't just be intellectual. You have to feel it, you know, and that's the where the feels yeah. come from. Feelings and passions and the emotions that, of Netzach. That what feeds what feeds the magic is that emotional component, you know, not just the intellectual component, which of is hold. the hood side, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, this might be a good chance to talk about the sevens while we're at it. Uh, talking about Netzach, yeah, you know, yeah, it's a good good place for the sevens. So when we talk about the sevens, there's always whoops, there's always this quality of seeking about them. I think. You know, and maybe that's that's the Netzach quality, you know, the, the need to always be on a quest of some kind. Yeah, it is about a quest because that whole like victory, the mm-hmm. sevens, I think, you uh, know, somewhere I read that, you know, that they're the way you achieve victory, your personal traits and your personal capacities that you bring to bear in order to overcome, you know, things on the quest. So, you know, valor debauch, futility, and failure. They're all describing this struggle to overcome something through your own capacities. That's right. You know, it's really obvious in valor because that's clearly Basically a form a struggle. of courage. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and actually because through its connection with Leo, it's associated with courage itself, fortitude. But also, you know, in the cups one, you know, there is that sort of like looking at something and seeing it how it could be otherwise, right? Which in Thoth as debauch sort of is a negative spin on that because of Crowley's feelings about Netzach being low and off the middle path, but is something that's really fundamental to the nat- the transformative nature, the transmuting nature of Venus that takes something that is different or wasted or, you know, or this is the compost card, I like to call it, and turns it into something that is fertile and ready for new growth. Uh, same way that an artist looks at something, sees it differently from other people, and makes it something beautiful. The- but it's also discernment that needs to be involved, like which of these inspirational things are actually real right, or, or able to be brought real and which are just fantasies. And then with the Seven of Swords, you know, you may think of it fu- as futility, but that is, again, that ability to look at things from different points of view and to um, maybe be distracted by it, which is the futility side of it, but also maybe find another way out, fi- find an unconventional path, thinking out of the box to to solve your problem in a different way. And then with the seven of pentacles, <laughs> failure as yet. <laughs> right, right. It's the what do we do now card. Yeah. I think that there's, uh, you know, a willingness that to me is the stamina and endurance and eternity side of Netzach. Mm-hmm. The idea that you look at this thing that may have not gone the way you wanted and you try to bring something useful and, um, adjust and reevaluate and reassess. And that's part of the quest as well. You know, I often find when I, uh, I don't know if you have this, but like, 
often when you wake up from a dream, you can't really remember anything. But the one thing I almost always feel like after I wake up from dreams and can't remember anything is that I was trying to do something. I was really trying to do something. And that to Isn't me that is like the nature of Netzach. It's like I was trying to do something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of hate that because you wake up so tired. You're you like, what have tired. I been doing for the last seven hours? <laughs> yeah. It's like doggy paddle through the seas <laughs> <Right>. of hypnosis. <laughs> Just real quickly mention the virtue of unselfishness, which kind of oh, yes. speaks to the uh, Venus in Pisces exaltation, you know, unselfishness. And the Libra, like, considering the other Yeah, qualities. considering the other, too. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the vice, unchastity and lust. Not just in a sexual sense, but in, like, the impurity sense, I think, right. applies. Do you have the magical weapon? I think we talked about the magical uh, weapon. Tr- I think it's love filters. Love filters, yeah. that's right. That's right. And um, also known as the... Um, Luminous intelligence. I know that that's one of her epithets. Anything else about Netzach? Oh, the lamp and the girdle. Right. Ah, oh, lamp and girdle. Right. Yeah, so Netzach, yeah. it's lamp and girdle, and and Venus path itself is girdle. So right, 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 right. It, there is a little bit of overlap between those the planetary and the path. Um, You're right. The Sephira and the gifts. And the path. Yeah. So we actually have. On the Patreon extension, we have a pretty extensive post on Venus and girdles in case y'all want to <laughs> have a look at that. But there's a sort of quality about the girdle in general that is has to do with the determination of Venus, you know, some of her warrior qualities, to mortals. To, but also to hold together, right, yeah, and to right. yoke. So it's it's a really fascinating fascinating idea the girdle as as a weapon of venus and uh so if you'd like to see that article which makes extensive use of the at the time recent wonder woman movie (laughs) (laughs) that's on our site www.patreon.com slash fortune's wheelhouse that's about it we can go to the cards i guess so minor cards of venus she has five like every planet except for mars in terms of decanic minors and hers are Venus in Aries, in the third decan of Aries, known as... Completion or perfected work. Right. And then <laughs> Venus in the first decan of Cancer, which we're in right now. Love. The Lord of Love. Uh, then Venus in the second decan of Virgo. Gain. And Venus in the third decan of Scorpio. Debauch or illusionary success. So interesting. And then Venus in the first decan of Aquarius. Defeat. No alternate name on that one? I don't believe so. I don't think so either. So I kind of look at those five cards in a row and I see, you know, the four of wands as being the the partnering Venus. You know, that's the marriage, the marriage Venus, the partnering Venus, because it's, you know, Venus and Mars. Aries is ruled by Mars. So Mm -hmm. it's got a nice combination of Empress and Emperor. Mm -hmm. And then we've got the uh, two of cups with the Cancer Venus. So that's the, I look at that as the maternal Venus, the nurturing qualities of Venus. And then we've got the nine of Discs, and I, I call that like the 
that's like the windfall Venus, you know, the the lesser benefic mm-hmm. that brings you the inheritance or the the financial blessings or whatever mm-hmm. that you're you're gonna get. And um, then we've got the drunken Venus or the over the top, <laughs> over the drunken top sailor Venus, <laughs> passionate, passionately over the top Venus of debauch, uh, mascara running down her face, and then yeah. uh, the defeat, the uh, five of swords Venus. That's that's the Venus that just wants to get along. But gets taken advantage of uh through that passivity and wanting just wanting everybody to get along and not really bringing on her warlike qualities enough you know yes 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 i think it's also so. a little bit like the venus venus with an inferiority complex or something like that like venus with an inner battle over something. well <laughs> yes i think so too i mean I kind of want to go through them again slowly because there's so much to say about oh, each one. As you were saying, you've got the Venus in Aries as the marriage of the emperor and empress. And, um, and although she's in detriment, and I think that the detriment quality in that may come through as the fact that it's just fleeting, right? It's just a right. moment in time, right? Just the celebration, not the marriage, right? <laughs> just, just the, uh, yeah, the ceremony, I guess. Yeah, but there's a feeling of tying the knot, peacefulness of weddings of charm. But also, it's Venus in Chesed, so there's that right, sort there's of... Right, there's that Jupiter quality that kind of puts a blessing stamp of approval on it. Right, sort of like... Takes... That's, that's the priest officiating. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, rabbi or priest whatever. officiating right. and like, you know, the, the spirit of generosity that tells Mars not to be a dick. <laughs> you know, it's right. sort of like you guys can, you know, be on your best behavior. Have Everyone's a safe here. space for each other <laughs> yeah. here. You know, everybody can, can enjoy their wedding and completion. Yes, but it's going to move on. Yeah. All right? the fours I think of as like some sort of checkpoint or plateau. It's a right. nice place to visit, but you can't stay. <laughs> right. When we say completion, it's sort of like in the sense that Chesed thinks it's complete because it's the Keter of the lower yeah, world, right. but it's really just the cycle beginning anew. Yeah. And then Venus in Cancer, uh, as you were saying, there's that maternal quality there's that sort of like quality of safety and an enclosure. Mm-hmm. You know, you sort of think about like Venus as the, as associated with the, the cancer crab archetype, you know, being enclosed and safe and, you know, writing it on your. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, I think, this feeling of tenderness and respect and being careful. Like when I was, I just did a big post because of the Deccan on Venus and Cancer. And if you imagine like the Venus Daleth, the Hebrew letter Daleth as the door and Het, the chariot as the fence, it's like she makes a little fence in the door for you to go through to, you know, open that door over your heart to connect with somebody else. And I think also, you know, well, we can also think of her as Venus in Chokmah. So Crowley says something about viewing it from that perspective as not just the Lord of love, but love under will. Mm -hmm. So those two things, you know, the 9393, because Chokmah represents the word and the will itself in general. And also, you know, with the, with the Venus and Cancer two of cups, I think there's a particular connection an awareness of the great work in that card that I don't see in the other minors of Venus. The There's, of course, that 
relationship of the red lion on the two of cups in Rider Wade Smith, the parody of the sulfur and the salt and trying yeah, to approach. Yeah, there's definitely an exchange going on there. You know, whether you're looking at the Rider Wade card with them kind of exchanging mm-hmm. cups. With or, the Mercury the, Caduceus as the Quicksilver that brings the them together. Card with the um, the two dolphins if mm-hmm. uh, intertwined mm-hmm. with each other. The dolphin being, you know, such an animal of Venus, yeah, of the totally, sea. Totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that that uh, intertwining of the Thoth card reflects that same Caduceus symbol. Intertwining mm-hmm. there, yeah. Right. It's interesting, even the Marseille cards have that intertwining they shape do. on the two of cups. Yeah, and that precedes any of this sort of esoteric bullshit we put on top of things. Mm-hmm, entwinement. It makes me think of the, you know, um, what goes on in conception where the chromosomes, you know, come apart and then come together again, mm-hmm. one half from each parent. In terms of the Venus and Virgo, nine of... um pentacles or discs card once again we have venus in um in venus in fall funny we have cards where she's in detriment fall. and in fall <laughs> yeah yeah and she's achieved gain but she's far from her place of exaltation she's on the opposite side of her place of exaltation in pisces where everything is sort of yeah. dissolved in oneness so she's separate it she's be walled in because she's a nine and you know associated mm-hmm. here with the sod so the moon and you know the kind of compatibility middle pillar <laughs> yeah. yeah and middle pillar of course yeah yeah and but i think also we get a sense of that fall i've often seen this card manifest for women and i always tell them I'm really glad I see this for you um, because they're usually achieving some kind of independence, but there's also a loneliness that goes with it. So there's both independence thriving from your, from your accomplishments for sure. That's the aspect of gain financial independence. Women often are coming into their own with this card, but they're often literally on their own. You know, they're often literally separate from others. And the other thing that, that can be the downside of this card is the perfectionism that goes with it. That's Venus in Virgo, you know, the sort of like Martha Stewart, everything in its perfect place, drive everybody crazy kind of thing. But, you know, you get gracious living, you get beautiful things, you get starting businesses, and you get people saying that you have put the wrong linens on the wrong rack. (laughs) (laughs) The windfall part of it is like, you know, we've talked about how when you do tarot arithmetic, you take the three, the three of discs is work, three times three, and you get gain, right? So, or three times, uh, three times abundance, and you get happiness in cups. So, so that's something we see in this nine of pentacles card as well. And then the seven of cups is so fascinating, you know? Yeah, it's, it's both, it reminds me of Venus Neptune because it's both, artistic visions but also a sort of escapism going on too like the neptune parts of things right (laughs) right where you were saying venus out of balance yeah i mean i've always considered this the card of the artist because of that ability to turn things around from something kind of disgusting and terrible to something beautiful and interesting even though i think it was crowley who said the seven of cups represents one of the worst ideas one could have (laughs) well you didn't see you haven't seen his art have you (laughs) (laughs) no i haven't (laughs) enough said and again she's in her detriment here so 
Well, to me, that's very much that Netzach 7, that example of Chernobyl coming back to life. You take the ruined city and you make something new out of it. And that to me is similar to this energy yeah, of this card. There's all that beautiful new growth, but it's radioactive. <laughs> it's radioactive and there are probably some very strangely shaped animals in there. (laughs) Three-eyed fish. Yeah. Yeah. Life will find a way, but it may not always be our idea of, you know, beauty beauty and symmetry. Right. And then with the, the five of swords, I agree about what you were saying and what Lon Milo Duquette also says about, you know, being in the rough neighborhood and giving up and being too peaceful, um, hoping that things will just work out. But I've also seen this as, you know, that feeling of jealousy and insecurity. You were also talking about insecurity. Yeah. I Inadequacy on yeah. some level. Yeah. I got this card two days ago and I read a story by Ted Chiang about beauty. He, he writes science fiction and the idea that you could maybe turn off the... um you know how people have prosopagnosia where they can't recognize faces. He was playing with the idea that you could turn off the ability to see beauty in people's faces and in, in eliminate the tyranny of beauty and the advantages of beauty and the disadvantages, et cetera. So, so that really made me think about like the, um, privileges and entitlement that come with being beautiful or the, 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 the disadvantages that come with not being beautiful in this world. And I think that there's some of that in this card as well. You know, um, in the Thoth card, we see it as the inverted pentagram again, you know, with matter over spirit, the idea that you just look on the surface and see uh, something that you judge without necessarily looking inside. It could even be inside. seen as, you know, the curse of beauty, like, where beautiful people attract people, but then they get taken advantage of on right. some level, or know, not wanting to attract it, right? that attention. Like you can, this right. could be, this could be like the beautiful person walking down the street getting and being harassed, harassed by the absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yep. I totally see that. That's a really good image for this card. All right, so um, um oh yeah, we forgot to do mm-hmm. um cards that reduce down. Cards that reduce yeah. down, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so majors, the empress relates to, as you were saying, the hanged man and the world. So the hanged man as elemental water. Because, you know, we're talking about numerical reduction. Right. Where the 12 reduces to three and the 21 reduces of the world reduces to three. So there's a connection between empress, hanged man, and world. Which is interesting because we're talking elemental water and at a level and elemental earth. Right. You know, the two things right. you need for fertility. Right. Yeah. Jeez, and that makes me think we're not going to do it, I don't think. But you could also talk about the threes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. We'd be here all day. <laughs> We'd be here all day. Uh, particularly, I see it in the world card, that sort of gestation and birth and motherhood, the relationship of the mother to the princess, the queen to the princess, the mother to the daughter. Right. And the Venus archetype. We'll save the threes for Saturn. Yes. <laughs> We'll have have the mother there. Yes, for sure. And that's for the hanged man. It always makes me think of like the amniotic fluid that the fetus Mm -hmm. is just kind of hanging out in, you know. Yeah. The salty waters. That's right. The salty waters of Mem. And I was also thinking of the 
fact that when it comes to decanic minors in Venus, she has one of each suit except for cups. She has two in cups because Venus is at some level watery. And that's a connection with the hanged man, the sort of um, what do you need to dissolve things water. So natural correspondences, I got a lot of interesting stuff out of the Picatrix as far as correspondences go. Basically, you know, if you look at Venus in the body, we're talking about sex organs, basically, or generative organs. Flavors are anything. Well, we're talking about the throat for Taurus. Taurus for the throat. And then we're talking throat. about, for, for Libra, we're talking about the probably hips, lower back, hips kidneys, and lower back. that area. Right, 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 right. Um, flavors, uh, Picatrix says, anything that's sweet and tastes good. Plants are all good odors. It sort of reminds you of what Crowley says, all soft and voluptuous odors, I think, is the what he says. The apple, of course. The apple, of course. The roses. Yes, definitely roses. All roses and, all the time. Yeah. I like the soft, voluptuous odors reference. To I do, too. That seems Like sandalwood. Uh, I particularly sandalwood lovely. a voluptuous odor. It is. Agrippa says that pomegranates were first sown by Venus in the Isle of Cyprus. I think he's making it up, but it's still kind of cool. And he also She's says the something. Johnny Appleseed pomegranates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jenny pomegranate seed. He he also mentions the rose of Lucifer and the myrtle of Hesperus. So oh, there's that morning and yeah. evening star nice. reference, right? Yep. Why you would put roses in the morning star and myrtle on the evening, I'm not entirely sure. But she's also associated with all these like fruiting and flowering plants, I guess. Makes sense. Picatrix likes to say, all medicines of strong smell. <laughs> all animals that are symmetrical and beautiful and colorful, um, particularly small, colorful animals. Um, although I've always thought of I think bees. little songbirds. Yeah, bees and doves and little songbirds. Sparrows absolutely yep. have been yep. associated with her forever. Pigeons. We have a little sparrow nesting right up, right on the side of our house, and that little thing is fierce. <laughs> Every time really? we go out in the yard, it follows us around and chatters at us like, "Get away, get away!" <laughs> I'm like, "I live here too." <laughs> Gazelle, rabbit, calf, nightingale, swan, swallow, swan. I can see that. All swan is also Jovian, but. Mm. Yeah. Here's a nice suffumigation from Agrippa. I know these are gross, but I love to read them. So for Venus, take musk, ambergris, line aloe, which is lignum aloe that's like agar wood is mm -hmm. like oud, red roses, red coral. And make them up with the brain of sparrows and the blood we of pigeons. We were going so well. <laughs> <laughs> we were going so well there. I know. It was like almost something you could imagine making. And then sparrow brains and pigeon blood. The stones are really lovely. Emerald oh, yeah. and turquoise, and which also correspond to the colors, to colors. of uh, Venus. Emerald and sky blue and spring green and bright rose red, pale green. As well as just white and green white, you know, virginal white and greens in general. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That Where's that uh, Where's that chart we had? Is she mostly green? I didn't mostly I have it green in here. And white and a little bit yeah. Pink. Let me pull that out. Lots of white and green. There's some yellow and blue in there, but see? Oh, yeah. But it's more white and green than anything. Pink, green, blue, white. Maybe you should post that chart. We should post that chart. Because we're really talking good. about yeah. it and it's not up on the website. Yeah, yeah. This is just a chart that is um that we've talked about in each of the episodes where it 
traces the colors that have been associated with each planet over, well, forever and um, over centuries. And it's really quite, quite interesting. It's graphically represented, so you can sort of see at a glance. So this is, as far as correspondences go, I like the invocation from the Picatrix because it kind of like sums up those correspondences. So may God bless you, O Venus, you who are queen in fortune and are cold and moist, equitable in your effects and complexion, pure and lovely and sweetly scented, beautiful and ornate. You are the lady of adornment of gold and silver. You delight in love, joy, ornaments and jests, elegance, songs and music that are sung or played on strings, written music and songs played on organs, games and comforts, rest and love. You take delight in wine, rest, joy, lying with women, for in all of these your natural effects consist. You know, that kind of brings in a lot of things that we've talked about over the course of this episode. The the sort of tenderness and beauty and the ability to make things pleasant to be around that Venus confers, as well as the the attraction and love and the more sort of fierce um, emotions that you cannot escape from her. I think I think we kind of yeah. did it. <laughs> yeah. Beauty, motherhood, fertility, creativity, symmetry, love, connection, connection, attraction, harmony, union, yokes, ox codes, <laughs> doors divided, doors and keys. For the chance of union. <laughs> oh wait, what is that again? Divided for the chance I'm of the union. Divided for the chance of union. It's from uh, Liberal. Liberal. Yeah. All right. This has been the planetary episode devoted to Venus and all her works that we hope that you have made a few connections of your own. And we will see you next time with the golden, brilliant, flaming sun. (laughs) Great balls of fire. (laughs) (laughs) See you then.